God is so good, and it's good to worship as a whole family this morning. Any kids in the room here at all? Any kids out there? Yes, if you're a kid in the room, go, woo! woo! All right, good, good, we're glad you're here. Any retired kids out there at all? Woo! woo! All right, good. Kids, I want you to know you are such an important part of our church. We love you so much. We're glad you're here with us. Retired kids, we love you too. We're glad that you're here as well. We, uh, we just want to dig in this morning to Numbers chapter 11. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me there. But I want to ask you this. What would it take for you to be satisfied? If you ponder that just a little bit and you think through that, what would it take to make you fully content? Would it, would it take living in one of the most prosperous nations in all of the world? Would it take getting exactly the Christmas gift that you were hoping for and wanting and waiting for? Would it, would it take maybe a raise? What would it take? You know, in America, we've got this new level in art form for displaying our dissatisfaction. We grumble and complain about everything. So much so that it's coined its own term, first world problems. And this first stuck out to me when I saw these memes up on the internet and it would have this picture of somebody just bawling. And then it would have underneath it a line of what we typically complain about. So just picture somebody just in utter despair and then a line underneath it that said, I had to wear my coat to the game and now I have to carry it with me the whole night. Like first world problems, right? Or another one I saw was, there is nothing to drink in this house except for virtually an unlimited supply of clean, fresh water, right? When you think in comparison to the rest of the world. Or another one was, I want to wear my headphones at night to fall asleep, but I also like to sleep on my side, like just rough things. Or I have to wear it, wake up, at 4 a.m. to catch the flight, to go on my vacation. Woe is me, right? I saw one of a kid crying, and underneath it, it was a line that, Mom asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I couldn't think of anything, right? We have com- turned complaining and grumbling into a whole new art form. And God actually was warning the people of Israel about this. He was taking them to the promised land to a land full of abundance and grandeur. And yet he was telling them to be careful because they wouldn't find their satisfaction in that place. Their satisfaction could only be found in him. If you're with me in Numbers chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse 4. It says, And the rabble with them, and the rabble just means this mixed multitude. So when they left Egypt, there were others that joined in. Maybe there were other slaves from other countries that were there or those that had joined in with them. And they were following along kind of in the back of the group. They began to crave other food. And if you take notes or you circle things, go ahead and circle that word crave. And again, and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, this is another thing I would underline, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. And also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Now, in order for us to understand what's going on in chapter 11, 
we have to get some context to what's going on in the story. It's like when you come into a movie and you get the opening scene and then you're like, yeah, we need some flashbacks to other things to help us get what's going on here. We have to know right now is that the children of Israel have been out of Egypt for two years and they've just spent a year at Mount Sinai with God and he's been teaching them what it means to follow him. He's given them their, his commands. He's organized them and ordered them. And he is in the middle of their whole camp, in the middle of their whole community. And he's guiding them. We actually know if we look back in the chapter 10, verse 33, that they've been traveling three days and come out. And then right after three days, just three days from learning all that, a year with God, they start to grumble and complain. First part of our chapter in Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. When they heard, when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Three days into their journey, they start to complain right after he's just set it up for them how to live, and they're on their way to the promised land. But yet they're grumbling. And it awakens God's holy and just anger. And fire comes down on the camp. It starts to burn the outskirts of the camp. And the people cry out. And Moses goes to God praying. And the fire dies down. And then what happens next? Then some time passes and we get to verse 4. Again, they're grumbling and complaining. But look at what they're grumbling about. Craving other food. They're saying it, it's, we had all this great food in Egypt at no cost. Wait, wait a minute. At no cost? 400 years of slavery has a little bit of a cost to it, right? Remember whips and bricks and bricks without straw? All this is a little bit of a cost. But for them, when they start grumbling and complaining, they start to skew facts and think of things that are totally offbeat. And what verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 shows us is that complaining is sin. And God deals with sin severely. But to help us really understand what's happening in this chapter, we have to go back two years to see what this story is talking about. So if you put your finger in Numbers chapter 11 and then turn back to Exodus chapter 16 with me, there's another story. And you have to read this story along with this. Because when you read them, you think, well, this is the same story, but it's not. They're two different stories. And there's some little pieces that start to help us see what's going on. Now, what's happening in, verse, in chapter 15 of Exodus is just three days after they've crossed over the Red Sea. So in verse 22 of chapter 15, it tells us that the people started grumbling and complaining because they were thirsty. Just three days. That seems like a common thing for them. It's like when you get in the car and you head out for your road trip. And three minutes into the road trip, from the back seat, you hear, Are we there yet? I'm thirsty. I, I can't stand this trip. Three minutes in, and you're like, We've got 30 hours on this road trip. We're not even close to getting there. But they start to grumble and complain. They're thirsty, and so God miraculously provides water. Now, what's so crazy to me is that it takes three days to forget all of the incredible plagues that God did to free them out. It takes three days to forget and find something to complain about when God met them at the Red Sea and opened it up so they could pass through. It takes three days to forget he is right there in their midst, leading them with a pillar of fire and a cloud, and his presence is with them. But yet we get to 16, 
And it says this in verse 1, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after coming out of Egypt, so now we're exactly one month after they've been out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. I would circle that against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said, if only, ah, remember they'd said, if only we'd had meat. Now they're saying, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Because there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. If only. Yeah, it would be way better to be dead in Egypt than to be here in the desert in God's presence. I'm going to give you a couple contrasts as we go through this story. Some things that are so different, it helps the truth stand out. Here's the first one. Complaining is not a circumstantial problem. Complaining is a heart problem. Did you get that? Complaining is not a circumstantial problem. It's a heart problem. My attitude is the posture of my heart, and it forms and works its way out through my thoughts and through my words and through my actions. So if I'm complaining, the problem is not around me, it's inside of me. That's why Psalms 19 verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's why Philippians 4 verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any situation. You say, what is that secret, Paul? He would say, no matter what, it's Jesus and being rooted in him. In fact, he goes on to say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So if you're consistently finding problems in every situation that you're in, no matter if the situation you find yourself in continues to change, the first place that you should start to address those problems is yourself. Because complaining starts with a selfish heart that musters its way through it. And their complaints are not really against Moses. Their complaints are really against God and his plan. They think they have a better plan. We should be back in Egypt. So what's God do? Verse 4, he says, The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are go out each day and gather enough for the day. And this, in this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. You see what God's doing? He's trying to train his children to see his heart. He's going to give them some instructions, show them how to live, but they have to listen and follow and obey. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all of Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. God's bringing you out of Egypt. He's got a better plan. Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Will you obey him? And to give us a little more context of the situation they're sitting in, look what happens in the next four verses. Verse four through 11. If you've got a pen and you're counting, go ahead and start circling grumble or grumbled or grumbling. How many times do you see it in these verses? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six times in four verses, it shows us what's going on among this community of people. The Hebrew word for grumble is loon. 
And the Greek equivalent of that word is an onomatopoeia. And you guys know what an onomatopoeia is, right? Like words that sound like what they are, like drip, 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 or buzz, like buzz, right? So it's the same uh, understanding. It kind of comes from this uh, sound or this cooing of doves that they make, like, right? It's this surge of unhappy clatter. It's this muffled undertones. And we've been in situations where we could hear the undertones by the sounds coming up. Like, have you ever been in a gym and you're just walking in? Maybe you weren't there, but the referee made a bad call and the crowd is going crazy. And you hear all the boos. And it just sounds like a dark place. Like, you know, the whole mood of the gym that's in. It just has that sound. Grumbling has that same kind of feel to it. So try it with me. If, if we all are in the same room, and we're all booing. Boo, boo. Go ahead and join me. Boo. Yeah. See that sound? Never been booed on stage. It's the first here. <laughs> but it just kind of sets that tone. That's the same thing that's happening with their grumbling. They're complaining. And yet God meets them in this and he provides for them. But it's not like we ever grumble in Nebraska, right? If you're anything like me, I have such a struggle to keep the right attitude about the weather. I've not complained about the winter this far until yesterday and today. And in Nebraska, what do we do? In the wintertime, we complain because it's too cold. In the summertime, we complain because it's too hot. In the fall, we complain because of football, right? We've got something all year round to continue to complain about. How many of you this week in your holiday travels somewhere complained that the internet was too slow? Ooh, yeah. How many of you complained sometime in the last month, what? I can't get that delivery in one day? That's ridiculous, right? How many of you complained, ooh, about the service at the restaurant, for that poor one person that's working on Christmas Eve, running around, trying to serve everyone, the service is horrible. How many of you complained that you can't find your AirPods again? You lost them, right? We make complaining into an art, art form. And yet God, what's he do? In Exodus chapter 16, verse 14, he says, When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Manna literally means, What is it? I make a lot of manna because whenever I bring food out, people are like, Oh, Josh, what is that? <laughs> but this tasted so much better. And later on in this chapter, in verse 31, it said that it tasted like wafers made with honey. And if we go back to Numbers 11 and verse 8, there was all sorts of things you could do with it. It says the people went around and gathered it. On the, they ground it in the hand mill or they crushed it in mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into loaves. This was such a versatile food. God was providing such an incredible thing for them in the desert. I couldn't help but laugh when I heard John Ortberg explain everything they could do with it. He said, it's, it's like Bubba and Forrest Gump talking about shrimp. You'd have baked manna, boiled manna, barbecued manna, manna on a stick. You could have manna burgers, manna salad, manna cotti, manna banana cream pie. I think that's it, right? You could do all sorts of stuff. In fact, in Psalms chapter 78, it says that men ate the bread of angels. What a good God. 
provides for them. Let me give you another contrast. Complaining weakens your faith, but gratitude builds your faith. Did you get that? Complaining weakens your faith, but gratitude builds your faith. That's why 1 Thessalonians reminds us to give thanks in all circumstances. Not give thanks for all circumstances, but within them, there's always a reason because of the God you serve to have gratitude. So to give you a challenge, let's get real practical. I started to try and do this myself. Every morning this week, I challenge you, the first thing you do when you wake up, start a little list and say, God, today I am grateful for, and then list out three or four things. Maybe you want to do it in your journal. Maybe you actually want to write it. Maybe before you even step out of bed, the first thoughts you have is, God, thank you for another day. Today I am grateful for, and share it with them. I can tell you on some of the times, and I, re- I remember one time very specifically, when I was trying to have some quiet time with God, some time alone with him, and I was frustrated and I had angst in my heart. And I wasn't, uh, I just wasn't seeing what God was doing around me. And I remember trying to read from the scripture and it just was frustrated. So I opened up my journal. I decided I'm going to look at last year and just list out the things that I'm grateful for. So I started writing one thing down the page. I thought if I get three or four, that'd be good today, right? got to the bottom of the page and it was full. So I flipped the page over, started listing again, flipped the page over, listing again. It, it reminded me that there is always something to be grateful for. Think of the light you could be in this world if rather than grumbling and complaining, you were grateful, no matter what circumstance you're in. Exodus chapter 16 Verse 16, Moses goes on to tell them, hey, just take only what you need for the day, and then in the next day, you'll gather more. But think of them. This is an incredible food. We're in the desert. What if this is all I get? Can I trust God, and can I follow his ways, or should I gather more just in case? We'll see what they do. In verse 19, Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of the people paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was so full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. God goes on to tell them, hey, on the sixth day, collect twice as much because on the Sabbath day, I'm teaching you how to rest. And he's teaching them where to find their rest at within God. And yet, what do they do? Verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Well, go figure. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? You see the backstory to what's happening before we go back into Numbers 11? This story just plays out. Now we go two years down the road and we're back at Numbers chapter 11. And we're seeing them crave other things other than manna and start to grumble and complain again. This incredible food that God's provided them was just not enough for them. Robert Hughes, in his book, Culture of Complaints, says this, We live in a society where people perceive themselves to having all their desires fulfilled and accord themselves victim status when it doesn't happen. That sounds like what we're seeing here. And boy, that sounds like what we see around our country and around our state. The problem with grumbling is it's like a rash. It's easy to catch and it's tough to get rid of. See what's happening? It starts out, In Numbers chapter 11, in the first verse, the rabble continue to do that. It goes on into the rest of the community. And now in verse 10, look what happens to Moses. 
Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Moses heard the people from every family wailing at the entrance of his tent. Reminds me of a preschool classroom before snack time. And the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. And he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Now notice what complaining and grumbling does. It turns the attention of the whole world on me. How could things be so wrong for me? So what's he continue to go on and say? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me to carry them on my arms like a nurse to an infant to the land that you promised an oath to their forefathers? Or can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. Sounds logical, right? Grumbling and complaining continues to carry through. Let me give you another contrast. There's a difference between a critical spirit and a critical thinker. There's a difference. One helps and the other hurts. There's not a way with grumbling and complaining that I can't hurt or impact or affect other people. That's why Philippians 2.14 says, do everything, not just most things, but everything without grumbling or arguing. So maybe before I start complaining, maybe I should ask these questions. Maybe I should ask, is me saying anything in the situation going to help? Or maybe I should ask, is me saying this to this person going to help? If you find yourself saying no, you're probably working up to some grumbling right then. So God selects some leaders to help Moses carry the load. In Numbers chapter uh, 11, verse 18, he says, Tell the people this, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. Do you see the heart? You have rejected the Lord who is among you. And have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? See, God will be faithful to his people and to his promises. But he'll also honor the choices of people. He'll let them waste their lives. He'll let them choose to go in rebellion. He'll let them walk away and he'll let them suffer their consequences. And the same is true for you and I. He has a plan that he's unfolding, but he'll let you continue to reject it. He'll let you just sit and complain about it. He'll let you try and meet all your satisfaction and needs and other things, but it's never going to satisfy. That meat isn't going to do it any more than the manna did. This is my last contrast. There's a difference between, between going to God for the things you want versus going to God as the thing you want. Do you see that? There's a difference between going to God for the things that you want versus going to God as the thing that you want. The people just saw God as some holy heavenly vending machine. 
Like I just will continue to spit out all the things that I want and God will continue to just give me it and I'll be satisfied. The interesting part is God gives them this. Some people even eat and they're died, but do they die happy with their final craving? They actually call this place in the last verse in this chapter, we're told that they name it Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of craving. So I want to ask you this. Are you satisfied right now within your life? The people were constantly discontent and they never went to God to find their contentment. Could it be possible that they could have been in the desert with nothing other than the presence of God there and been fully and completely satisfied? Could it be possible that you could lose your house, that you could lose your job, that you could lose all of your possessions, that you could be in a crummy situation, maybe even lose your family or friends, and yet still find a place to be grateful and satisfied in God? How satisfied are you right now? How much complaining is surrounding you? Maybe in this room, this morning before we leave, some of us need to repent. Maybe some of us need to say, God, I'm sorry for my griping and complaining. I want to follow you in your ways, in your ways alone. Deuteronomy 8 brings us all into a close for us. Verse 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And he humbled you, because, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Are you satisfied in God? I think St. Augustine said it best when he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Jesus, we thank you so much for stories like this that help us not only to see the history of your big story, God, but they pull us into our current story. God, we don't want to be known as the people that complain and grumble. We don't want to be selfish looking only to our plans and our needs. God, we want to be people that follow you no matter what it is. People that can find our satisfaction or hope in you and you alone. God, let that be true. In the next moments, would you deal with our hearts? Would you allow us to give praise to you no matter what situation we find ourselves in? In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, we want to go on and see what happens in the story. So I'm going to actually invite my wife, Julie, to come up and help me out in this next part. So we're going to look through Numbers chapter 13, just two chapters later. And I think this might be kind of similar to what you've been studying on Sunday mornings. We got this idea from Aaron Reynolds. So we're going to look at the story. And this is a story about a couple of spies. Ooh, spies. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Spy Kids. Ooh, kind of like Inspector Gadget. Yeah, kind of like 007. Ooh, how about Lance Sterling? Sure, sure, sure. Kind of like Magnum P.I. Uh, no, no, nothing really. like Magnum P.I. Maybe more like our hero from Veggie Tales, Larry Boy. Okay, so it's a couple of spies, and our story starts and is centered on God. Would you go ahead and okay. write that out? Yep. Because okay. every story starts and is centered on God. So I have been working on my bubble letters. I have been lur- working on my arrows. Those, Excellent. Those arrows are pretty great. 
Thanks. Yeah. All right, kids, if you have a bulletin, you could also turn to the back page and draw this with us if you still got some blank space. Now, at the center of the story is God, and at the center of God's heart is that he desires our heart. So in this story, it's centered around God, and remember the setting that we've been talking about. It's in the desert. So maybe we can draw desert. Okay. a desert here So as the desert well. is hot. I got some sand. You need like a big we need sun, sun. Sun and sand in December exactly what Lincoln I, needs. Could you All take right. me to the desert? That sounds way I'll better than best. Nebraska. Whoops, I'm going to draw a little bit of... Uh, uh, That's a big, hot sun. That is one weird-looking cactus. That looks oh, great. Oh, try another one. Try All another right, one. Let me see if I can do it. Like, they are pr- got to put prickly stuff oh, on it. That's right. And it's a, it's a sad day Kids tip, in the never desert. sit on a cactus. Did that once. That's a good tip, Josh. Okay. So we got some, oh, we need some clouds and uh, oh, yeah, birds. Yeah. Okay. I'll do some birds. You do okay. some clouds. Birds. Just like Remember a, those quail that were in there? Birds it's a are sad like a day check mark in the desert. In not the a, lot of, a lot of grumbling, not a lot of happiness. Now, Julie, if the people were living in the desert, what do you think the people were living in? Uh, uh, Winnebago. No. Uh-uh. Um, like trailers. Uh, no. Okay, streamliners. Nope. Um, okay, a hotel. Nope. A big house. Nope. Igloos. No, no. A van down by the river. Okay. So it was tents. The people oh, were living tents. in tents Sorry. down okay. in the desert, gotcha. right? Because yep. there were a bunch of them. And remember, the Israelites had been divided into 12 tribes. So 12 tribes of tents, but there's no way we have time That's to draw a lot all of, tents. of those. I got a solution. Okay. Times 12. Perfect. Okay. Learn that in math class. So all the tribes are in the desert. They're living in, uh, in tents, and they have this leader. Let me draw out their leader. His name was Moses. Ah, Moses. I've really been working on my art skills. My art teacher says I've got a lot of promise. Really? He thinks I'll be big one day. Who is your art teacher? It's, it's Brian Clark. Because... <laughs> Because, hey, Moses. no offense, but it looks like the international sign for bathroom. Ooh, yes, it does. I've got just the idea that will fix oh, it. Oh, I got an idea, too. There we go. Oh, that looks like a candy cane. It's a staff. Every Moses oh. needs a staff and a beard. Excellent. Okay. So our Moses is in the desert. And he's not very happy. And he's happy. not very happy as well. He's leading the people. And in Numbers chapter 13, verse 2, God told Moses uh, that the people of Israel would not stay living in the desert. In fact, they were going to be moving to a new land, the promised land, and the name of this land was Canaan. And this land was going to be incredible. So he told Moses to pick 12 spies, one from each tribe, to to go check out the land. So 12 tribes... Twelve spies. Twelve spies. And two of these spies were named Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua these and guys Caleb. were okay, awesome. Okay, I got Let's Joshua. Go ahead. I'll do Caleb okay. here. I'm almost done. Hello. Okay. They don't really look like spies. They kind of look like the bathroom sign again. Okay, we got a solution. I think this will help. Ready? Whoosh. Voila. 
So these two were unlike any of the other 12 spies because Joshua and Caleb were courageous. Wait, no. They weren't just courageous. They were courageous. Ooh, try it with us. Joshua and Caleb were courageous. courageous. Yes. yes. And so they were headed out into the land. And verse 6 tells us that these two went off. And then we get to verse 17. It says, Moses gave the spies some instructions. Go into the city and check out everything. Looking under every hen house, outhouse, look in every tree house, look under every rock, okay. under every log. Yeah, we get yeah. it. So yeah. scope out everything. And in verse 21, the spies leave the desert and go into the promised land. Beep, 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 beep. Excellent. And verse 21 tells us that the promised land was unlike anything they had ever seen before. Oh, yeah, it had like rolling hills and trees. It had rivers and, and lakes and streams. Where's the brown? It had lots of trees. You know what kind of trees? Ryan mentioned it last week. Just a happy little tree happy right here. Happy little trees. I also learned that you can't mess up any artwork. Well, or Ryan will be distracted. No, no, you can make it a masterpiece. It also tells us later on that there was fruit hanging off of every vine. Every vine? Yeah. That's a lot of fruit. It is. I don't know if... You got an idea? Yeah. All right. See what she Uh, comes up with here. I was saving this for breakfast, but... Fruit Loops. Perfect. Okay. So this place was incredible. In, In fact, it was a place that... Many of them thought, boy, if we just went there, it would be a place that would be so happy because they've got all this stuff. That is right? a happy sign. But there was another home. thing. Because in verse 28, it tells us that there were big walls surrounding the city. So it wasn't like they were just going to walk in and take the place, it didn't seem like. It probably caused them a bunch to wonder, how in the world are we going to get in there, Right? So they scoped everything out. And after they had been there, in the next chapter, it tells us they'd spent 40 days waiting and checking out the promised land. And then after their 40, 40 days, they went back into the desert, beep, beep, <laughs> beep, beep, to report what they had seen to Moses and the rest of the people. In verse 26, chapter 13, they told Moses, it is awesome. They said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Mm, a a land, land flowing with, with milk, milk and honey. Ew. Yeah, it's kind of weird, don't you think? Uh, but, but what it means is that there was so much prosperous things that came from the land. It was the things that they longed for. It was, it was full of the good things. So maybe for me, it would be saying a land full of chocolate shakes and candy bars. Yes. A, a land, land full of chocolate, chocolate shakes and, and candy, candy bars. <laughs> but for them, it's milk and honey. So okay. um, let's go ahead and draw. I'm I got gonna draw, the milk. I'm going to draw some. Honey. I'm going to represent chocolate milk because okay. you got me thinking. Don't, don't about look. That. And I'm going okay. to draw it out here. Chocolate on the brain now. And Thanks. then Wait, we'll reveal on. at the same 
time. You are going to love this. Wait, I'm almost this ready. This is the perfect representation of milk. Are you ready? Ready? Okay. One, two, three, go. What is that? You know, it's like the honeycomb, you know? Oh, like the, the, the beehive. beehive, maybe? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Is, is, is that a cow? It's a chocolate milk cow. Oh. <laughs> is that even a girl cow? Does it matter? Okay, let's, uh, you try honey, okay. and I will try milk. Don't Clearly, look. I am the better artist. I will represent honey. Okay. Honey. Almost done here. Wow, you're fast. Okay, hold on. I'm sure these guys can draw this better than both okay, of us. ready? Yep. Set. And go. Oh, a little honeybee. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah, and what's that? Like a uh, milk carton. 2% milk carton. 2% milk. That's okay. right. Okay. All right. So it was a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 28, they said, 10 of the 12 spies started shaking in their boots. Wait, they were wearing boots? They started shaking in their sandals. Oh. And they said, the people that live there are huge and powerful, and compared to them, we look like tiny, itty, little, bitty grasshoppers. I'm not good at grasshoppers. I got grasshoppers. You okay. draw the giant, strong Well, that's people. easy. I'm just going to draw a picture of you. Oh, thanks. I'm almost done here. Well, that's looking just like me. It does look just like you. Wow. <laughs> but then Caleb and Joshua spoke up because they are courageous. And they right. said, what That's right. are you afraid of? God promised us this land and it will be our new home. It doesn't matter if the people are stronger or bigger. God will give us this land. Their protection is gone because God is on our side. And I'm going to thank Julie for her help this morning and ask the band if they'd come back up. But this is just a reminder. It's a reminder for us as well. Kids, it doesn't matter if we're having a crummy day, a horrible day, or if we're having the best day of our life. We can always be grateful and have joy because we have God. And because of that, we can obey him and we can follow him even when it seems hard to do because he has given us all the strength that we need to follow him. So for the parents, for the kids, for the young, for the old, we want to spend some time being grateful to God as we close out our service this morning. We're going to sing a few songs. And kids, if you know any of these actions, we definitely have a reason to celebrate at any time because of the incredible God that we serve. So would you all join us in standing up as we sing a few songs?